Hey, Yogi, Sarah Burchard here, and you are listening to Yoga Unplugged Conversations, a show dedicated to helping you grow, thrive, and gracefully make tough life decisions so you can lead a happier, healthier life. On this show, we discuss common challenges that everyone can relate to and apply philosophy and practical tools that have been proven to be effective solutions. Well, yogis and loyal listeners, as the saying goes, all good things must come to an end. Today's show will be our final episode of Yoga Unplugged Conversations. It has been an absolute pleasure hosting this show for the past year through 20 episodes. We've covered everything from depression to creativity to how to heal a broken heart. I've had some of the most talented and influential yoga teachers, authors, therapists, and food and wellness experts from Hawaii on the show, as well as the wisdom of influencers from other parts of the country as well. I thought about who I'd bring on for this last episode and what the topic would be, and it was obvious to me. Since this is the final show, it felt only right to discuss the one topic we haven't covered yet, death. Death is a scary topic for most of us. It can cause anxiety, stress, and extreme sadness. It is no secret that in many Eastern philosophies, such as yoga, that the belief is that just because the physical body dies, it does not mean that the spirit dies with it. In fact, it is believed that a person's spirit continues to transfer from one body to the next, living on for eternity. It is also believed that death is a metaphor for new beginnings, which helps us process loss in a more positive way. We experience death every day. Every time a job or relationship ends, when you finish school, move, or in this case, record the last episode of your podcast, the pandemic has caused us to experience death. In addition to thousands of people dying from this deadly virus, COVID has also ended life as we know it, at least for now, maybe forever. Even your body's cells are continuously dying, so the body can continue to rejuvenate itself. And on the other side of these endings are new beginnings. I'm not saying that we shouldn't mourn loss, we certainly should, but what if we accepted death as a natural order of life that can, will, and must happen for our evolution? What if instead of trying to avoid death, we allowed ourselves to grieve it fully and get comfortable with the inevitable so that we can welcome it into our lives with grace? Could death eventually become not scary at all? Our guest today believes so. In fact, she is so comfortable with death that she has coined herself the death diva. Darty Wesley has become a regular contributor to the show over the past year, and it felt only fitting that she should be the one to help me bring the show to a close. Darty is the author of How to Be the Real You, and You Can Transform Your Life, and has dedicated her life to helping others put challenges such as death into perspective so that they can live a more peaceful life full of faith, confidence, and acceptance. So without further ado, and with a full heart, I'd like to welcome Darty Wesley to our final episode of Yoga Unplugged Conversations. I hope you all enjoy the show. Welcome back, Darty. Oh, thank you, Sarah. I'm so honored to be here on your final show. Thank you so much for having me. It's it, my heart swells with joy of being here and talking about one of my favorite subjects, <laughs> death. <laughs> what? 
what? <laughs> yeah, know, it seems <laughs> it seems morbid, right? Like it seems like what are these people sick? But no, I it's, know. <laughs> it's good to get comfortable with this topic and to talk about it in a way that is not so daunting. You true. know, lighten it it's up true. a little bit. Yeah, I mean, mo- most of my my opinion, most of us in the West are terrified of death and avoid to you know avoid dressing it or talking about it you know, unless absolutely necessary, you know, and if you think or talk about death in our society, it's, you're probably labeled as depressed or morbid or, you know, something's wrong with you or neurotic. And, and instead I feel, and a lot of folks feel, and I think the coming consciousness with regard to death is that indeed the acceptance of death actually helps us find peace and meaning and joy in our lives. Yeah. And that's uh, that's kind of where I come from, because it's just so much easier to accept the inevitable. I mean, nobody's getting out of here alive, right? Yes. And the more we face it for ourselves, and it gives us the ability to support, this has been my experience, gives us, as we work on it within our own lives, it gives us the ability to support others, our loved ones, right. um, our furry friends, uh, as well as our, uh, our human friends. And like you said too, you know, we grieve and have to come to grips with the relationships changing, uh, the grief and loss of relationships, loss of careers. I mean, things are changing. And, and so grief and, and letting go and acceptance of death, that kind of all flows together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, there's many things that can die in our life. Indeed. Would you mind sharing with us some of the personal experiences that you've had with death? Well, I've been with many people as they crossed over. The um, closest ones, of course, were being with my mother at the moment that she left her body and being with my sister at the moment she left her body. Those are the two people that were just the closest in my heart. I was with my father and friends and, and so forth. Um, But with my mom, um, she was diagnosed on June 1st with leukemia and passed away on June 30th. So it was a fast experience with her. And because of her, she was a Christian. She was a Catholic. She called herself a cafeteria Catholic. She, um, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What does that mean? What does that mean? I think that means you pick and choose what you like about oh, the cafeteria. Oh, oh, gotcha. Okay, okay. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, you pick and choose. She did. She liked the liturgy. She liked, you know, a lot of the stuff. With you, know, she believed she could uh, confess uh, whatever directly to to God or Jesus or whatever, and you know. <laughs> I love it. Okay. I was a cafeteria Catholic. And uh, anyway, so. In the process of preparing her for her death, which I felt was my, you know, supporting her in that process, as soon as she decided not to do chemotherapy, and we had all that conversation together about the value of that, which is part of the dying process, of course. And, you know, and of course, the stages of grief that uh, Kubler-Ross talks to. Anyway, so um, what we did was we did a lot of praying together, a lot of singing. Mom and I used to sing in church together back in the old days. And so we did a lot of singing and praying and calling on angels. And so there was a lot of preparation. And so there at the moment of her death, she was in the hospital and uh, I was just singing. I was singing and I have found that I have done that other than uh, when my sister died, I have found that when I am with people that that singing is 
music is very important for people who are passing, especially with the morphine and they're so usually so far away from our reality. Anyway, so I was singing hymns to her and um, all the old hymns we used to sing in church. And then uh, and when she left her body, I had a physical quickening behind my heart, which was just absolutely amazing. Something I'll, I'll never forget. It was a quickening. That's the only thing I could think of. It was just something. And so that was, um, and then I've had communication with her right after she passed. You know, I started hugging her hugging her body. And she's, what are you doing hugging there? I'm not there anymore. And I said, ah, well, these arms held me for a long time. So I'm hugging them now. <laughs> so um, that, that was my mom experience. And uh, at the moment of her death and uh, with my sister was much more dramatic in the sense that she had lung cancer. And so it didn't, it didn't end. It ended really quickly. And, um, and I had held her as she was, uh, having the, the process of dying. And I just held her and told her, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. This is it. I let her know, this is it, honey. This is, this is the final moments. And she looked up at me and, oh my goodness, I was shaken like a leaf, you know, holding her, cleaning her up as uh, the situation was going on. And she looked back at me and I said, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And, and I laid her down and she got out of her body. And, and so we had, I had another, experience with her right there and then too where she said oh my god the pain is gone oh you were right I said well you know I love to be right <laughs> she said I know you know you love to be right <laughs> anyway so she said to me oh the pain is gone the pain is gone you were right you were right so that those are two personal experiences that I had uh, you know and and my sister was prepared in 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 a, a way too she was much more of the you know, a different, different philosophy. She was ready to go. She would, she and I had talked for months uh, about not being afraid and how to do this. And it's a transition and believing that there's a consciousness that survives. And that's kind of about helping folks in the process of getting ready to die. Hmm. You know, that's something you can do. So you're helping and, them prepare um, for it. Yeah. So yeah. it depends on and it all depends on your particular philosophy. One thing I've learned in my studies and over the decades, and it's been repeated so many times that I finally come to accept that it more than likely is true because, you know, I haven't been there. I don't know for sure yet. I mean, I've been there, but I don't remember, okay? People said that whatever your particular belief structure, that's what you get when you first cross over. I mean, there's lots beyond that, but if you're a Christian, you're going to see Christ, or you're going to see Peter, or you're going to see the golden gate, the golden gates or whatever, you're going to see that Christian thing. If you're a Buddhist, you're going to see Buddha, you're going to go into the Bardos. If you're Hindu, you're going to see the Hindu gods. I mean, so, and if you believe that there is nothing, if you're a total materialist and you believe, boom, when you die, there's nothing, you get that for a while too. Mm -hmm. And so it depends on what your particular structure is as to what you're first crossing, as you cross over what, what they've talked about, the bridge, that first bridge that supports you as you get out of your body and you're in a whole different experience. Now that's of course for people who know that they're dying. When you don't know you're dying, it's uh, confusion, it's sudden, there's, there's all different kinds of experiences based on my research that uh, folks have if they uh, are taken unexpectedly, you know? Yeah, and how do 
how do researchers know this? Are these people who had near-death experiences and lived to tell about it or? Yeah, there's a lot of near-death experiences are one thing. That's uh, usually those people, those near-death experiences have taught us so much. When I, when I do my speeches out there in the world on, on death, I talk about the past, the present, and the future. And the past was, of course, taboo. We didn't talk about it. We didn't know anything about death. It just, oh my God, they're gone. But then, but then we move into today, into the modern world, and we've had all these technology has allowed us to have all these near-death experiences. So we've had a lot of empirical evidence that was not available prior to uh, technology, bringing people back from having been dead. One of the books that I'm going to recommend is called Proof of Heaven, and it's a neurosurgeon's journey into the afterlife. He was in, uh, I mean, they were going to pull the plug on him. He was gone for a very long time, and his story is phenomenal about what he experienced uh, as he was brain dead. So there's all of this kind of research that's being done by a lot of, you know, a lot of institutes on um, on what's what's going on uh, in the what is the afterlife if there was one and so there's and there's also over the years there's been mediums that talk to people there are some good ones there's frauds of course but there are some good ones that really have the opportunity to uh, to talk to people who've crossed over so th that's where this evidence comes from as far as what people experience you know, in, in the afterlife. I mean, there's a book I read, or I haven't finished it yet. It's called Extension of Life. And it's a spiritualist who passed away, I think, in the late 1800s, or, and he, um, or maybe it was in the 1980s, somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> and he is channeling back to a person about the experience that he's having and what other people are experiencing, because that was his intention when he passed was to be able to facilitate something from the other side, which is, you know, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And with, with these people who, who've written these types of books, what did they have to say about the people who experienced death themselves? Were they, were they afraid? Did they experience any pain? What did they go through kind of physically and mentally during this time? From what I understand is when you are going to die, that there's no pain in death that the pain is with the physical body and as soon as you're leaving your body, there's no more pain anymore. Now, what I've heard, like for instance, if you're in an automobile accident or you're in a, a plane crash or you're gonna, when you're gonna die, when your soul or your spirit, your consciousness, whatever you wanna call that energy is going to leave the body, there's no pain in the leaving. If you're going to continue to live, if you're gonna come back for whatever reason, and your physical body has been injured in that crash or whatever, you're going to have pain. Mm -hmm. So that's the distinction of what I've, what I've read many, many, many times, is that if you're leaving your body, the plane's going to crash, you're scared to death, the adrenaline's gone, but you don't feel any pain as you leave your body. Mm -hmm. You jump out of a 20-foot, you know, 20-story window, and you've fallen down, you've got the anxiety because you're still in the body, but there's no pain when you leave. So you don't experience the physicality of the, the death mm -hmm. um, in, in that kind of a situation. Well, that's helpful to know. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it, it just, it, it, 
lessens some of the fear. It does because you think, oh, you know, when they, then they say, well, they died instantly. Well, they die instantly. You die instantly means you leave your body before there's any pain. Mm. The only time you're going to experience pain is if you're going to come back into the body. And for some reason, there's more for you to do, or your soul is not ready to go, or you know, you know I mean, we don't know. I mean, that's right. all an individual, that's an individual's responsibility, in my opinion, who has survived a near-death experience or survived something like that, that there's a reason for that. And that's up to them to find out what that reason is or not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. no. how it, much you want to explore your life, you know? There, yeah, there's either unfinished business or they have such a strong will that, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely more to do, I think, though. I mean, my personal opinion, there's always, you know, for sure. So what do you usually say to people who have a strong fear of death? Well, I share with people who have a strong fear of death what the Dalai Lama said, that being conscious of death and, not, and, and working on flattening that button allows us to live a better life. If you're in the process of dying, there's a different conversation, of course. If it's you and me and we're walking around and we're not you know, we don't expect it to happen and we're afraid to die. Well, that's a different conversation, as you can imagine. To me, that's why I go out and speak. That's why I call myself a death diva, because I'm all about helping people flatten that button. You know, I mean, we all have these buttons and death is one of those buttons. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. Well, we need to talk about it because it's real mm -hmm. and, and, and it happens every day. And so if you've got a real strong fear of death, then you need to find out what that is. Is it mo is it, it's like people who with self-discovery, you know, a lot of people are afraid to find out about themselves because they're not sure what they'll find. Mm -hmm. But it's in the discovery, you know, part of being human is being curious and to explore things, including death. And if you're afraid of it, I mean, I'm, I'm a one that fights fearless, you know, fights fear all the time. I mean, I think that's something that we need to do in our lives is to, to release the need for fear. Fear is not good for your body, you know? Mm -hmm. And to be fearless as we walk our path in life is one of my goals. And so if we're really afraid of death, then we need to look at that and talk about it. And, and we have so much evidence now, including evidence of reincarnation. For our listeners who don't know that, they should check out if they want the University of Virginia has been doing studies on reincarnation for years and years and years. And they've got thousands, 20,000 of children before, you know, before they're so conditioned that they forget children who have been investigated, you know, as far as looking at old pictures. Oh, I was, that's Uncle Joe. I mean, in old photographs. Oh, that's my brother there. You know, what do you mean your brother? You're five years old. You know, I mean, so they've done a lot of studies there and they've even shown that uh, children that have marks on their bodies, that that had something to do with the wound in the prior life. It's, it's absolutely amazing the research that they're doing there at the University of Virginia. You talked about the stages of grief. Can you go through those stages and just kind of give us a little bit of a sure. description on what sure. each of them are? Right. Now, with grief, of course, we can talk about grief because grief is a part of the human experience. We grieve, we grieve loss all the time about so many different things. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was a Swiss-American psychiatrist who was a pioneer in the hospice movement. 
And she wrote many books on death and dying, and I highly recommend them to anyone. But she introduced the first, the five stages of grief, and later she added two more stages. She worked with people who were dying, and she saw the light when they left. I mean, she just had so much experience because that was her, her, that was her job, that was her passion. Anyway, she, the seven stages of death, the uh, seven stages of grief are, shock is first. You're given a diagnosis or someone, you're told someone's passed or whatever. Shock, then denial, then anger, then bargaining, then depression. And then one of the new ones she added was testing. And then the last one, of course, is acceptance. Now, she postulates that this is a series of emotions we all go through when diagnosed with a, a terminal illness or someone, you know, someone we, we love when we lose someone we love. But I think, you know, like I said, it applies to all loss we experience. For sure. And also, I think that each of those things can be experienced in different orders. Exactly. Too, and yes. they can be repeated sometimes yes. as well. Yes, 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 for sure. This is not linear. She, she even said, this is not linear. Right. They all happen at different times in different ways. And it's as unique as we are. The final stage of grief eventually brings all of us to acceptance. And that's, that's probably what it is, but it's not, not everyone goes through all of them. Even, you know, some are just, uh, some are just there, but these are just ones she, she found and she noticed. I know that when my mom was diagnosed and she decided not to do the chemotherapy and to, to just, go with whatever was going on that we talked about these stages and and she even went through them and i went through them with her and we talked about them as as they happened and so it was uh, it was quite quite an experience and they're very helpful i think for for anyone understanding and she talks about them you can yeah it does especially when you learn about these steps after you've gone through it mm -hmm. you're like oh that's what that was mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you also realize that okay everything that i've been experiencing is normal and it's there's no time limit on it there's no like magic day that i'm just going to automatically just be through this process or exactly so i think that you know learning how to have compassion for yourself and yes. and how long it takes you to process the death of somebody you love or right. you know, like we've been saying like a, a job or a relationship or something like that it's just really important to give yourself as much time as it takes exactly i remember one thing i do too sarah that uh, is really important to me is that for everyone who's ever passed in my life that i've loved i have them on the calendar I have the day of their death on the calendar and uh, and the year and and I consider that that their day. I, my yeah. sister Karen's day, my sister Darlene's day, my mom's day, my dad's day, my my brother's day. I have these days on my friends' days, every my friends. And on that day I spend the day with them. I honor them, I think about them. And that doesn't mean that I don't at other times too. But that's just a, a way that I honor their their human experience here, and to and to kind of stay in contact with them too. For sure. But I know. Yeah, I, I do to, the same thing. Yes, yeah, I think that's great. a great practice. Personally, I just mm -hmm. really do. I had a I had a, a baby that died um, many years ago in the in the early seventies, and April twenty third was the day that the baby died, and I 
grieved and gr every April 23rd, I would cry and I would cry many other times, of course, but I would cry and cry. And then, and then it would come around every April 23rd, I would remember and I would cry and I would cry. And then one year I missed April 23rd. Hmm. It was about 25, 30 years, I think. It was a very long time mm -hmm. and it went by and I went, oh, wow. I was amazed. Same thing with my mom. My mom's been, my mom passed like 20, 25 some years ago. Mm -hmm. Now I'm always with her on June 30th because that's the day she passed. But the constant coming back of the grief, because I had that for many, many years. Where, and, and that's one of the things that's part of grieving too that I want, that you were saying that I agree with. And that is, don't say you're not supposed to feel it. I mean, for 25 years, I had what I called mom attacks. Mm -hmm. Mom, you know, I would, mom would come to me and I would just cry and cry. And I let it. I let it. I didn't make up. But this is the thing. You got to not make up stories and drama and stuff to go with it. Because we automatically, consciously feel the grief. But a lot of people make up stories. Oh, mom, I wish you were here. Dad, I wish you could see this. That's, that's not the best thing for you. That's not grief. That's putting drama around the grief. Grief that's real that just comes out. I would be driving along and all of a sudden, uh, you know, I was just like, oh, and I would cry and I would let it. I didn't need to say, oh, mom, I wish you were here or whatever. You know, so it's not about missing and being. It's that grief. It's the love. It's the love that you have for that person. And so that's part of, in my opinion, being healthy mentally and spiritually is to just allow the natural feeling of it not to make up stories to go with it. Right. I, I think there's a, a really fine line sometimes when it comes to missing someone who has passed and struggling to continue on mm -hmm. now that this person is no longer in your life. Mm -hmm. And um, there is, there is, yeah. there is. And how, you, you know, have how, to let the emotion come, let the emotion come. Right. And you know, how do you keep your loved ones close while not having that become a mental distraction yeah right to me it's about it's it's not making up stories i call it you know it's my and you've heard from me a million times and so and and that's all about taming the monkey mind the monkey mind can latch on to grief and and this kind of drama and really blow it up to make us feel things that we don't need to feel we need to we need to not intellectualize it and let it allow it allow itself to flow, flow naturally, no matter what it is, no matter what the loss is. That's important that we allow the feelings to come up. There might be practical realities that we have to deal with too, but we don't want to make up drama around it. We think, have to deal with it. You know? Yeah, I think a gratitude practice comes in handy here too. Yes. Because yes. it reframes your thinking from these thoughts of, what if, or I should have, or, you know, or just, you know, like, like exactly. you said, I wish you were here to, yeah. man, wasn't he funny or, or wasn't yeah. she so beautiful or, you know, or remember that time we did this, remember that time we did that. I'm so grateful for those memories, you know? Yeah. Man. And it's a chemical shift that happens in your mind when you do that. And yes. I, I think that that's really helpful for those moments when you're just like, it's almost like a hole you can't dig yourself out of. It is. And it's important that you not dig any deeper. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens if you allow the monkey mind to make up stories and to do stuff with that. Mm -hmm. Instead of just, 
allowing it to be because something I read recently too that's really struck me is this woman, uh, the woman who had a stroke, you know, the neurosurgeon, I don't know if you know about, it. she's got a TED talk on that where she was totally unable to, to talk, to think. And she remembered experiencing any kind of emotion that she experienced, particularly an unpleasant one, that she would, if you wait 90 seconds, it changes. Hmm. So, you know, it's the monkey mind wants to make those things and drag it out. If we just allow the emotion to be what it is, pleasant or unpleasant, it moves off in like 90 seconds. And I've been kind of looking at that. I just read that recently and I thought, because I, I work so much with folks on how to tame the monkey mind, mm -hmm. that when you stop doing that and just allow the feeling to be what it is, cry, because I've been crying a lot. I've been crying a lot for the collective, for yeah. what's going on in the world. It breaks my heart to Absolutely. see what's going on. And yeah. it just makes me cry. And so I just allow it. I don't make up stories about, oh, things should be better, blah, 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 blah. We didn't. I don't. I just don't feel the feeling of the of the of the tears and the and the sadness mm -hmm. the sadness or what, whatever that emotion is and so i feel strongly about that with regard to grief and loss and death and even knowing that death is coming even as you prepare to die even if you've got some if you've got a disease that that's taken you along the path that's a, that's one of the most fabulous books i've ever read that i'm going to put on the book list and it's called deathing D-E-A-T-H-I-N-G, and I've used it for years because there's stories in there of people who in preparation, the things that they did, the kind of, you know, awesome experiences people have had uh, in, in getting ready to leave their bodies. Hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, those are, those are good books in preparation, whether you're, you know you're going to die or not. I mean, even at a right. young age, it wouldn't hurt. Just no, to no. Kind of, you know, just kind of prepare yourself mentally for what's going to happen one day. Exactly. And it also helps you. I mean, and that's why when you talk about, you know, what people are afraid of, I think it helps, it helps you support others because you've got family members. If you're young, you're going to have your mom and your dad or your, your grandma or your grandpa, you know, whatever you've got, your friends, and to be able to support them you know, so right. in, in exploring death and flattening the button for yourself gives you the ability to to be supportive of others and to talk about this. I know that when when my mother uh, when my mother in law was dying, it was such a wonderful opportunity for me to be able to smile at her and talk to her. And you know, everybody else is like, oh, you know, this the down the sadness. And when people are getting ready to go, they know they're getting ready to go. And so there's lots of, lots of information that needs to be conveyed about that too, because people are unaware that even when you're on morphine, you can hear what's going on. You just don't want to be involved anymore. Mm. So it's not appropriate to be asking them questions and trying to, to get them to come out. It's important that you share with them your love and that everything's going to be all right. You're going to take care of things to ease any kind of anxiety or concerns they have and to help them in that, in that transition. Mm, yeah. That's I think really, people forget that. That's really important. I, yeah. I think we should underscore that because you're right. Sitting there and, and just talking to them and letting them know what they mean to you and, 
telling them, you know, rehashing fun stories of times you had together and things like right. that to, right. to let them, allow them to drift off in a, in a happy space. Yes. Know? And to be conscious, you, as the outsider that's there with the person that's dying, I just want to impress on everyone how important it is that when they're on morphine, they are still there and they can still hear everything. They just don't want to pull themselves out to be involved. Mm -hmm. And therefore, be conscious of your language. Having music, whether they like country music, if they like classical music, whatever kind of music, rock and roll music, whatever they like, that music is very good for people who are uh, getting ready to leave their bodies when they're on morphine. Yeah. But I had a situation that I want to share, and that's where a friend of mine was sitting with his mother when she was dying, and she was on morphine, and he was holding her hand, and he was having that nice conversation with her. I love you, Mom. Everything's going to be okay. And his sister walks in the room and said, how long is this going to take? How yeah. long do you think this is? And so that's, that's really, imagine the mother's feelings. I mean, she's there. I mean, she's... So this person was not conscious that the dying person is listening to what's going on. And, and maybe some people just will never not care enough. I don't know. It's traumatic for the people who are oh, sitting there yeah. with the person dying oh, too. Yeah. Oh, You're just like, yeah. really? I mean, really? <laughs> <laughs> if you know, if you know wow. not to do that, yeah. but it's like, oh no, 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 no. Yeah. So I, I always tell that story because I want, folks to be conscious of the fact when you're with a dying person and they look like they're gone or they're unconscious, they're not, they're not. Morphine puts you in a state that takes the pain, relieves the pain, but it also, you know, puts them in a state of Netherland. Like it makes it, it really makes it easier to leave your body mm -hmm. with, the, when, with the morphine, which reduces the pain but it also takes you far away from being out here in the world. It pulls you inward, which is where we go. When we go, when we leave, we go out the other way. You know, we leave through our crown chakra or our throat chakra or our heart chakra. We leave through our chakras, depending on where we are in our, in our spiritual path in our life. If you believe in chakras. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think our yogis here are familiar. <laughs> yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Yogis are familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and so therefore our chakras come into play at that time also. So that's I think it's really important to be conscious of this. You know, it's also important uh, to think, you know, to to have compassion and understanding for for the process and, and the choices too. What do you think is, is the best approach for somebody close to you who has had somebody pass and you're trying to be there for them? What is the best approach for that? Is, is the best approach just to, just to listen and just to, just to sit with them? I mean, is, is it good to talk about your experience? I mean, what, what is the best approach that you have found? Well, I think it depends, of course, on the person. You know, right now with, with uh, COVID-19, there's so much, you know, there's so many people who are not being able to be with their loved ones at the time of their passing. And so this, this puts a pain in our heart that is different than at least being there with them. Yeah. Uh, at the same thing, I think that at, at the same time, I think it's important that we, I know if I were talking to someone who lost someone and wasn't able to, 
that I would share my experiences with them. What I what I would want to do is is to to help them get past their grief. And so they would be, you know, you would determine what stage they're in. Are they in a depressed stage? Are they in a in a bargaining stage? Are they into, you know, are they, you know, are they still in shock? Are they angry? So those stages, and that's what I would share with them, is this is one of the stages of grief. If you're angry because they passed, or you're angry because you couldn't be there, or you're angry. So are you depressed? I mean, are you are you making yourself overly sad? It's okay to be sad, but are you are you are you doing things in your mind with it? Are you making up stories? So I would share my experiences mm-hmm. with uh, with others. That's that's something I always do for someone who's lost someone. I I help people in there. I've helped a lot of people who had uh, their their parents um, passing. I'd shared with them what I knew and what I felt and what I thought, which, you know, we're all in the soup together. We, we're on the soup together. We all have had this. We all have lost ones we love. And if we haven't, we certainly will at some point. Uh, and some people have a lot of admin tasks to deal with too, you know, like that's the, legal, true. the legal side of it and um, right. just, you know, cleaning up somebody's house and, Right. selling it maybe and, yep. and and then also the physical having to move stuff out of somebody's house and sell it or, or give true. it away i mean there's right. so much work that is. is involved so mm. even just support with that too i think is yes. really helpful like taking some of that off their plate or just oh, being yes. there to just help them with some of that physical and mental yes. work that comes yes. along can be really i agree yeah really good yeah, because there's there is all that admin. I remember cleaning out my mother-in-law's house and and all the work that goes with that. So and and having been a having been a lawyer and 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 that's one thing that I've been as as a lawyer, I was able to support people in both from a legal standpoint of what you need to do legally on a probate yeah. side, and at the same time spiritually and and psychologically yeah. to. Uh, to help them through the process, but, but there because, is indeed a lot of admin. But because you have that experience, you're tasked with that every time somebody exactly dies right. in your family, right? <laughs> exactly. You're like, oh, yes. Darnie will handle the legal stuff. You're like, can I again? <laughs> I get to do it all. <laughs> I know. Um, so we've been talking about some books. Uh, you brought up a few books that are helpful for people who are processing death. Are there any other books that you recommend for people who are healing from a loss or who want to develop a better relationship with the idea of impermanence? Well, I think that um, there's a, a great book. I just was, I just um, enjoyed a fabulous, conf- I guess a panel discussion, really. Um, I belong to the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which is studying consciousness and have been since the early 70s. And they uh, just had a panel called Consciousness After Death. What is the evidence? what survives, and how do our beliefs about it affect us? And it was phenomenal. And there was this uh, investigative journalist that was on that really knocked my socks off. And she's written a book called Surviving Death, a journalist investigation into evidence of an afterlife. And I haven't got the book yet. I want to get it because it just looks fabulous. But that's one that I think is for, for research kind of, to find out, to get some feelings for it. Because like I talk about, it's important to explore 
fantasize and have an awareness of death and do research on it, especially near-death experiences. Mm -hmm. There's also one called Final Exit, which uh, is a practicalities of self-deliverance and uh, assisted suicide for the dying. Hmm. And that's written by the founder of the Hemlock Society, which morphed into something called the Final Exit Network. But it's how to, it's a how-to book mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> for, for, um, for finishing. And, and there's the, the, the Christians, you know, the Embraced by the Light by Betty Eady, who uh, had, you know, had the angels and the whole experience. And, and then the one I talked about, The Proof of Heaven, his uh, neurosurgeon's journey was just his experience was phenomenal. There's lots out there. It's, uh, it's amazing to me that uh, all the books that I have seen and all the books that I have read and all the articles that I've read. And it's, it's I guess, with, uh, you know, with the, so many of the boomers that are going to uh, cross over here, I guess there's a lot of uh, investigation going on about the subject. Yeah, so there must be. A better feeling, yeah. Um, you also have recommended to me in the past advice on dying and living a better life by the Dalai Lama. Indeed, yes. Yeah, um, that's one of my favorites. And another one of my favorites is the Tibetan Book of the Living and Dying by mm -hmm. Sigmund Rinpoche. Rinpoche. And Rinpoche says that there's a practice of awareness of death. And if you practice awareness of death five times a day, it makes your life full of peace and joy and meaning awareness of death practice. It's something that uh, I've been doing for a long time. And I think that there's great value. And that comes from the Tibetan book of the living and dying by Rinpoche. Yeah, I could see that because you get comfortable with it. Yes. It becomes yeah. just like a normal yeah. thought. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. And there's also the five stages of grieving, like we were talking about. Right. Kubler Ross is on, her book is called On Death and Dying. She's also got a great one that I, that I uh, used for my mother-in-law called The Wheel of Life. Mm. And uh, because life and death, you know, and I, I, did, a, I did a talk with a friend of mine in, at, a, at a conference once, and we did birth and death because they're both you know, and the same spectrum. And evidently, from what I understand, not being a, a biologist, I understand that the same chemicals, the body uses the same chemicals when a woman is, is birthing a child at the same time that there's a, a deathing, that those same kind of chemicals are, are uh, in our body, those same kind of enzymes or whatever, which indeed, they're, they're this, it's not part of the same cycle. I mean, right. there is no death. It's just uh, the next rebirth. I mean, right, exactly. Yeah. Everything that ends is it's just a new beginning. Exactly. At, right. at exactly the same time. Right. So I think it's a great adventure. I think when we can flatten that button, when we have released the fear of death and go, hmm, it's going to be an interesting experience, that we, and the more we think about it like that, I'm very curious myself. I mean, I have done so much study. I can't wait. See, <laughs> I can't wait. Oh boy, you know. So this is that's really different. <laughs> yeah, that is really that's, different. That's really different for people. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. And I'm so, and I'm ready. And that's part of it is I'm ready. You know, because mm -hmm. I'm, you know. So that to me, that's uh, I'm excited about it. But that's that's the work that I've done. I have done death awareness. I have been with people who've crossed over. I have been in contact personally with people who've left. And so 
you know, I'm not a medium or anything like that, but I just, I just know that concert, I know that consciousness survives and therefore that there is a consciousness. And I know when people reincarnate, I know when they're gone. I remember when my mother reincarnated because I'm like, hello, mom, mom, hello. She'd already reincarnated again. And so there's a, a for me, this is of course just for me, but it's, it points to the fact, I think, that there is something that goes beyond this experience that we have here. There is more. Our loved ones are more. I totally believe in Rainbow Bridge where all our furry friends are waiting for us. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 and it also helps with all of any kind of grief with um, the things in life. I mean, it's, it's about release. Grief is about releasing. And the more we can know about releasing and letting go, the more peace, more joy, more inner life we have, which is all part of the new reality. Part of stepping into the new reality is allowing that kind of feeling to flow through us and to not get caught up in the drama of the outer world. Mm -hmm. You are currently working on a book right now on this topic. Isn't that correct? I, I'm just getting started on just it. Just getting yeah. started. Cool. So what inspired yeah. you to write the book? And, and what do you hope that the your readers will take away from it? I think, you know, I was I was concerning myself. But there's so many books on death out there. For me, it was about the practical realities of my experiences, mm. having been with people, but not in a hospice situation, but with people I, I truly loved and cared about. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that was, that was kind of the inspiration. And I feel like a lot of the things we've been talking about here today, a lot of people don't know about. And I've read a lot of the books and a lot of the articles. And I don't know if it's just, I, I'm inspired because I have come to a place, like I said, about being excited about the, the, the journey. Mm -hmm. about the exploration and that I think is kind of odd or if not odd definitely different <laughs> mm -hmm. and so I feel like having come to that place having having done the inner work I want to share that with others because yeah. um, it's not uh, empirical evidence it's not about this and that I mean I'm going to put all that in there so that's kind of a compendium but I I feel like I don't know we'll see I just I'm going to I feel passionate about it. I feel I have to do it. Yeah. Um, there's a million books on death out there. And, um, but this is what's pulling me. And so I feel like. Uh, right. And there's a million books on death, but none of them are written by you. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> My perspective. Yes. <laughs> and so I think that's what's, uh, that's what's pulling me along. And I really hope for my readers to take away from it is what we're talking about here. The, the kind of exploration that we can use to flatten the button so we're not afraid. And our lack of fear, or at least more understanding, will support our loved ones crossing over. Mm -hmm. And uh, or or just people we know, even if it's even if it's not somebody we love, but somebody we care about. Maybe it's a friend who's lost somebody. Having this information, you know, really from the heart supports our ability to support and help and be of service 
to others in their deathing. That's what I felt with my mother. I felt like I was really of service to her, helping her. I was in the middle of running for Congress in 1976 when she passed, 1996, <laughs> 1996 when she passed. And I just stopped everything and went and was with her. And uh, she died in a month, which I, we didn't anticipate, but it was uh, an amazing experience being Were with her. Were you on like a, like in a parade on a float like a few days later? I was, like yeah. God. We had her funeral on the, the 3rd of July and I was in a parade on the 4th of July because I was in the middle of running for Congress at the time my mother yeah. was diagnosed and died, amazing. which was uh, really um, an interesting time for, for me. I mean, that was really, boy. Yeah. <laughs> we have. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it was like, okay, next, you know, I've got, uh, I'm on. She supported me in that. She was very much with me on it. And so I bet. You know, it, was, it was good. Well, before I wrap up the show with you today, I'd like to share some of my own personal experience with death. I've had a fair amount of family and friends die over the span of my lifetime. Last year, I said goodbye to my life partner of 15 years, a loss uh, certainly akin to death. He didn't die, but it felt the same. And I still grieve about that to this day. And there are four other significant deaths in my life that have always lingered with me. So when I was around six years old, my parents divorced. And at the time, they were so amicable, and I still saw my dad so often that it made the transition pretty seamless. But later in my life, I would identify this memory as the first of three times I lost my dad. The second time being when my mother and I moved away from my hometown in San Diego to the San Francisco Bay Area when I was 14. And the third time being when he passed away, about 10 years after that. His third death uh, rocked my world so hard that I began to question my life and the path I was on. And this inquiry led me to my fourth death, which was the death of my career in the restaurant industry. An industry that I loved dearly and still do, but at the time had become such an unhealthy environment for me that I had to let it go. And then you could say that that led to a fifth death, which was the death of my identity as a chef, one in which I would struggle with for several years after that. And all of these deaths were very painful and I've spent years processing them. And eventually yoga was, was very helpful in that process. And yoga is actually what helped me start to reframe my past in a way that allowed me to begin the healing process. And I think it's, it was really significant because this is what allowed me to see the positive beginnings in these um, sad endings. So if my parents had never divorced, I would have never acquired my stepmom and two stepsisters who I love dearly. If I'd never moved to San Francisco, I would have probably never become a chef. 
and would probably have had a very different life trajectory. My dad had never died when he did. I may have stayed in a job that was burning me out to the point of, I don't know, maybe a heart attack. And if I'd never left my career in the restaurant business, I would have never had the opportunity to get my health back in order. I would have never developed my yoga practice. I would have never developed better eating and sleeping habits. I would have never learned how to manage my stress. I may have never moved to Hawaii. And if I hadn't have lost my identity as a chef, I may have never become a writer. So even with the most devastating experiences, there's always a way to find a silver lining. This I found is the only way to be able to live comfortably with loss in a healthy and productive way. You've got to rewrite your past in a way that makes you feel grateful rather than empty and sad. But most importantly, you have to rewrite it in order to not fear the future. So Darty, would you mind gifting us with your wisdom one last time and leave us with some parting words on the topic of death and endings? I would say, Sarah, that we are, all of us, are vast, powerful beings, more than we really know. And every big change in our life is indeed a rebirth. And we can step out of our grief anytime when we're ready and create a new reality for ourselves. Our grief, our feelings, our acceptance are all the stepping stones to an exciting new way of life as you have found in your steps. Yeah. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I love you so much. Thank you so I much for, for being on my show for the final episode. And for, for today's last episode, I do have one last final thought I want to share with all of you. But before I say my final goodbye, I'd just like to share quickly how you can stay in touch with us. And I'm also going to leave Darty's contact info in the, the show notes as well. And all of the books that we've been talking about will be linked in the show notes. But feel free to find me, Sarah Burchard, aka The Healthy Locavore, at sarahburchard.com, healthylocavore.com, or on Facebook and Instagram at Healthy Locavore. And if you'd like to learn more about Yoga Unplugged, please visit yogaunplugged.org or connect either on Facebook at Yoga Unplugged by Jennifer Reuter or on Instagram at yoga underscore unplugged. I'll make sure again to post all of this information in the show notes. It has been a joy and honor and a dream come true to host this show for you. I hope it has helped bring clarity and comfort to your life. I know it has for me. I'd like to close by leaving you with one of my favorite Rumi quotes. We may wonder if we can bear it. What shall, if at all, remain intact through these rigors? We may feel challenged every time we attempt to become something great, as though we are blocked by circumstances beyond our control. Again and again, it is though a greater hand smacks our wrist the moment we try to take hold of something firmly, someone, anything that brings us certainty or inner stability. Such are the rigors at an advanced stage on the path. We meet this challenge when our soul is ready for it.
Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Best of luck to you all with every life challenge you will encounter. Namaste.